This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me across the board is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, how are you this evening? I'm doing pretty well, but uh, Paul, I I think uh, as a Giants fan, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? Well, it's just the step one in in the cleansing process, but it's good to see Jason Garrett no longer part of the team. I I hope he's not just a scapegoat and they kind of go status quo if they win a couple games down the stretch. I think Mara should have fired Gettleman today also. I think that would have appeased a lot of fans' concerns that if they win a couple games down the stretch, he wouldn't use that as an excuse to bring him back. But at least Garrett's there. Maybe, you know, we'll see something open up, you know, the rest of the year. I don't really think Freddie Kitchens is going to be all that much better, but it can't be worse than, <clears throat> than what we've seen from Jason Garrett. Uh, so at least that's an uplifting positive thing here uh, for the Giants. Uh, I know a lot of fans in New York are definitely excited today. I'm lukewarm. I'm glad he's gone. But at the same time, I, I want there to be a lot more change. So I'm taking a wait and see approach for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think there was like a minute there where there was some integrated play, like like Kadarius Tony getting the ball in a creative ways, and it was like, oh well, you know, maybe something's happening here. And uh, yeah, and after uh, Monday night's game, you were like, oh, not that was just abysmal. I like there was no excuses for the type of game plan he called there. Um, and he had two weeks. He had two weeks. Yeah. That was the game plan he did. I mean, they don't sit there and let the week before watch Washington spread it out and go up and down the floor, up and down the field with, you know, Taylor Heineke and, and what the Redskins, well, Redskins, Washington football team did to Tampa Bay the week before. And two weeks, he's coming out there running triple tight end sets. Like, like what are you doing? Tampa Bay's one weakness they have right now is their secondary has been lackluster. Some of it's due to talent level. Some of it's due to injuries. And the Giants finally have their full allotment of skill players minus Sterling Shepard last night. It, it was just an abysmal game plan. I know Dan Orlovsky put something out today showing the horrendous call in terms of like three guys like divulging right to the center of the field. And it's like, where is Daniel Jones supposed to throw the football? And I don't don't want to give Daniel Jones a free pass because he made some horrendous decisions. The jury is very much out on whether or not he's the long-term answer. I'm not sure. And we'll kind of use that as a transition point. I'm not sure there's the heir apparent this year. And I'm not sure the giants are set up similar to what I've said about the lions and the Texans. I'm not sure the Giants are set up to just hand the keys to another rookie quarterback before they kind of lay the foundation and fix the the infrastructure, and that is the offensive line. Because we've been talking about these quarterbacks a lot, so let's kind of use that into the jumping-off point here of the NFL Draft Report. And we've been kind of saying here, so we've we've kind of been on this, right, that we've been saying over the last month and a half or so that we thought round one, the potential guys could be – Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, right? That's kind of what we've kind of circled in on now for about the last month as Spencer Rattler fell by the wayside, as Sam Howell, you know, fell from the ranks of top five pick overall to more of a day two guy. Ian Rappaport comes out with a report this week that says still very much likely three quarterbacks going in round one. The same guys we've been saying, Corral, Pickett, and Willis. 
Howell hasn't fallen as much as maybe people thought that he's in the mix to be early round two. Maybe he could still push his way into round one. And then a guy like Desmond Ritter kind of rounding out what, what, what seems to be the perceived top five out there right now and more of a day two guy on Desmond Ritter. So any thoughts on that report by rap sheet? We've talked about these quarterbacks a lot. So I don't think there's, I don't think we really got to get into them on the field right now, but anything about the report, I know you had some thoughts on maybe could any of these guys push into the top 10. I think that's, I think it's such an interesting question because like we were talking about the giants, right. And they're going to have two picks in the top 10. I I, I don't think them or the bears are going to get out of the top 10. So I think they're going to have two picks in the top 10. And we like Corral here. I'm just not sure it's the right move for the Giants right now to invest the top 10 pick. I think they need two O-linemen in that top 10 or an edge rusher and an O-lineman. And then kind of just give Jones one more final year as you build up the O-line and then maybe attack the quarterback position the following year. Uh, But I think that's going to be an interesting take that these teams in the top 10, how many of them need a quarterback? And do they feel like they have the infrastructure in place? Because, man, we've sure seen it this year. If you don't have the infrastructure in place, these rookie quarterbacks can come in and really look bad. And that's what we've seen with Trevor Lawrence. It's what we saw early on with Justin Fields, whether that was more scheme-based. It's hard to know. It's what we've seen from Zach Wilson. So I think teams are going to be very leery about investing in these guys in the top 10, especially if the infrastructure is not conducive. Yeah. Um, Just to kind of go on there, I think part of our conversation this weekend was what blue chip players are at the top and at important positions as well. So, you know, is a team like the Texans are a a team like, you know, the jet, well, not the the jets for sure, not um, have Wilson, but they're not going to give up on a, uh, a, a cave on, Thibodeau or uh, George Karloftis or or even, you know, there's a couple good offensive tackles or Derek Stingley at, at cornerback. Like these are important positions and these are really top end talent players that I, I think you don't reach for a quarterback and pass on on somebody who can be, you know, an anchor at a position, especially if it's one of need. So you talk about the giants, you know, there's, there's tackles on the board there that they'll probably take before a quarterback. If they even use one of those two, two picks on the quarterback, they might go tackle and then, then QB at, you know, with their second one there, I still think somebody's going to go top 10. It's pretty rare for a quarterback to not make it up there. Um, And I think just as far as that report goes, you know, I, there might be four players kind of squeezing into round one. I think if we maybe just assume there's three, I'm not actually sure that we'll be able to know which three of them it is. Like, I don't think it's locked as, you know, Corral and Willis. Like I do think Howell could work his way in there. Um, And so I think, and it's going to depend on what uh, the NFL teams choosing quarterback prior, like value at the position there. Like we talked about, Willis being a very toolsy moldable player. And um, but that might be not that might not be for some franchises, or that might make some franchises go get, you know, get really excited. That, you know, that's what San Francisco looked at with Trey Lance is a toolsy moldable player. So I think um I think it's gonna be exciting come draft day to to listen to the buzz because 
I don't think anything's for certain. And I think it's going to be very context dependent on who's making the pick. And so you're going to get a lot of like different connections under insider circles and, and there's going to be a lot of smoke screens. And so it's going to be a very interesting draft this year. Yeah. And I mean, I mean when you really stop and look at it, but there's a lot of teams that still are going to need a quarterback in those top 12 picks, right? I'm just, I'm just bringing up the reverse order of the standings right now. And yeah, I don't think the Lions are going to go there at the tippy top of the draft. We know the Jets aren't. The Jaguars aren't. I don't think the Texans are. Seattle's really intriguing if they're picking that low. Do they see this as an opportunity to just turn the page, trade Russ Wilson, get multiple first-round picks, and then do they think about a quarterback early in the draft? I, I don't think it's off the table. I'm not saying it's likely. I don't think it's off the table. The Bears aren't. We've talked about the Giants. I don't think the Dolphins, they're either going to trade for Deshaun Watson or, or keep continue to work through and build around Tua. I think the Falcons are interesting. I think the Washington football team is interesting. I think Panthers are interesting, the Broncos. And then I really think the Saints are interesting because they're a team that is surrounded by a lot of good talent. And I think Sean Payton thinks that he can probably maximize a, a young quarterback skill set that I could see them maybe being in the mix. They might be. Saints might even be one of the, the few teams that might even be willing to move up if Payton kind of hones in on his guy, right, in, in terms of what he wants. So there's enough there's enough teams in that top 15 to 17 that lead me to believe when push comes to shove, we're going to see a couple quarterbacks go in the top 12, top 13. I, I, I do believe that's going to happen. Maybe three or four get in round one. But I do think when push comes to shove, there's going to be two or three that go in the top 12, top 15, because there's enough intriguing teams. Teams are going to sell themselves on this. Teams are going to say, we might not be picking here for a while. Like you look at a team like the Broncos, they're a very talented team. They have a lot of really good players on the Broncos. They have a solid defense, they have a good defense. You know, like I, I think that they could be a team and the Saints could be like, yeah, we're not going to be picking in the top five next year. Like if we have an opportunity to go get somebody now in like the early teens, you know, maybe we go get it. So I do think there's some teams there that that could very much, you know, be in the mix. And I and that's why even a guy like Howell, if he finishes strong, he could be in the mix also with those other three guys for sure. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how it plays out. I'm not sure there's going to be a consensus like this year was, you know, people liked all the quarterbacks, but it was clearly Trevor Lawrence and then everybody else. Right. And I can totally see some teams liking Caramo, some teams liking Pickett, maybe some teams like the dual credibility of Willis. So, so it's going to be one of those things where we're not going to see quarterbacks mocked at one and two, you know, in mock drafts. Right. I think we're going to see those guys, the edge rushers and the, and the top offensive linemen. And, you know, we're going to see those guys at, at the top of this in mock drafts. So then it's going to be like, where do you pencil in these quarterbacks and who, you know, teams are going to be very hush because, their number one might be somebody else's number three quarterback on the board, and they're not going to want it to get out there that, oh, they like this guy the most because they're going to want to keep that very much under wraps where usually the team's picking super early. You know, there's usually some leaks more, and it's like, well, there's not a lot of teams that can really jump these guys. You know, there's not a lot of picks before them. So so I think it's going to be really fascinating because I think we're going to have eyes on, like, the first 20 teams and, and trying to mean saying like, okay, will they take a quarterback? Will they take a quarterback? Is there a surprise team that might take a quarterback? And I think it's going to make the process really fun to kind of see. I continue to say, like we were talking about the Giants before, that I think this is a year where the O-line and the edge rushers are very strong in this class. 
that there's going to be a lot of teams, though, that do say, you know what, there's question marks around these quarterbacks, maybe more than other years. The other important positions on the football field always usually are brought up are, you know, cornerback, offensive line, you know, and, 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 you know, and then pass rusher. So I think teams are going to say, listen, we can get a potential star at O-line or edge rusher. We're going to kind of hit the pause button because we don't see transcendent type quarterback talent here. I think that's what a lot of teams are going to do. But again, all it takes is one, two or three, right? And you would still get three in the top 15. So, and I think you're going to have that as well. I just not sure it's going to be right at the tippy top because I think those teams like the Lions and the Texans are going to have a little bit more of a big picture view and realize they're not ready yet. And we know there's going to be a Deshaun Watson trade. So it's not like the Texans aren't going to have the ammo years moving forward, right? That's probably, they're probably going to have multiple firsts for multiple years in that, in that potential trade of Deshaun Watson, if, and if, and when it happens. So I think they're definitely not going to be in the mix. And I can see the lions kind of taking the same approach uh, as them as well, which kind of makes things really interesting. So quarterback, quarterback discussion, we can have it every single week here at Saturday, Sunday. It's going to be fun. I mean, I think you brought up some good points. We might be first, giving too much credit to the organizations of Houston and Detroit. Um, just saying there. Um, but when you were mentioning Atlanta, the football team, uh, Carolina Panthers, Denver Saints, all of those teams in the middle. Uh, I mean, the one that sticks out as sort of not like the others is the Falcons, which are just in a terrible roster state. And I wonder if, you know, you mentioned the Giants might do this, punt the position, build around a lame duck quarterback in Matt Ryan and attack the position in a stronger 2023 class. But the, you know, those other teams there, you know, it's, it's kind of like a Mac Jones situation where you can go into a healthy organization with a, a good structure and scheme. If you get the right fit with the right coaches, uh, they, they can kind of make the most out of, you know, a potential NFL ready quarterback more like a Kenny Pickett rather than a, a Malik Willis so I think that could be pretty interesting and that might be one reason where if we see those teams going after quarterback you know we might see you know Willis fall farther than we maybe otherwise would expect yeah for sure and, and that's going to be something that you know I really truly think the quarterback boards even for the NFL teams are going to be I think in the media and stuff it's going to be very interesting to see how people rank it but i think even in the inner circles of nfl scouts and the nfl gms and and teams they're going to look at this quarterback class and there's going to be a lot of differing opinions in terms of how to rank the top three top four guys in it for sure and that kind of opens the door we usually eventually seem to have a lot of groupthink. i'm not sure there's going to be like a consensus groupthink when it comes to this quarterback class and and that kind of makes it a fun process for sure so let's transition to the other skill positions. Uh, the wide receivers, it's like the same names every week, but at the same time, like it's just unbelievable. The duo at Alabama and the duo at Ohio State continue to just put up video game-like numbers. Alabama this week, the win against Arkansas, Jamison Williams, 8-190 and 3, John Mechie, 10-173 and 1, the Ohio State, Olave, 7-142. Garrett Wilson, 7-125 and 2. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think we're at least 
on the trajectory that it's not impossible all four of these guys go off the board in round one. It's very much possible these four sprinkle in Drake London, sprinkle in Traylon Burks, who had a monster game himself this week, 8-179 and two. And we could be looking at, again, four to six wide receivers that go in round one. And that's not even talking about some of the other really talented wide receivers that are out there in the country as well. But just focusing on the Ohio State, the, you know, Alabama, Traylon Burks and Drake London, you know, every single week, these guys just keep delivering monster stats. And what's so amazing is it's not like, you know, they're the center and focus of the defensive coordinators game plans all week. And it doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter whether there's it too many skilled players. I mean, Ohio State, you know, they have the great underclassman himself and Smith and the Jigba, who went for 10 catches over 100 yards himself this week. But every single week, you're seeing these guys just solidify. It's the one position this year that's that's kind of held, you know, serve in terms of living up to the reputation prior to this football season starting. There's been a lot of topsy-turvy at the quarterback position, as we've talked about and especially at the the running back position. I'll get there in a second. I do want to bring up a tight end who I thought was going to come out last year in, in Brent Keaty out of Utah. Not your prototype tight end, but as people got excited about a guy like Kylan Granson this year, who hasn't emerged yet, but tight ends rarely do, but there was definitely some buzz about Kylan Granson in training camp and the preseason that, you know, the Colts maybe had big plans for him. I kind of see the same thing about that, about key too. this, this week, Utah got a big win over Oregon. He had five catches, 118 yards. He's not going to be a top 100 pick. So we're talking a day three guy, but he's one of those guys that really athletic, basically, a, you know, tight title, the tight end, but it's really a wide receiver, uh, you know, tight end in a wide receiver's body, but I, he's really athletic. And every time I watch him, I come away really impressed with him. So for somebody looking like a little bit of an offensive, you know, weapon, you know, from that can be designated a tight end, I think this is going to be a guy that intrigues me a little bit on day three. And then at the running back position, I know you have a couple of names you want to bring up and I'm going to shoot it over to you. Jerry and Ely just continues Ever since it was about a month ago, five or you know, four to six weeks ago, we talked about how, man, he just really hasn't done what we thought this year. And we had question marks about, you know, where his draft stock could be. Since then, he has been on the upward trajectory. He's showing that dual capabilities as a runner and a receiver. This week he didn't do much on the ground, but he chipped in with five catches, 31 yards, and a touchdown. So even if he's not effective. In the pass game, I mean, in the run game, he could still be a weapon in the pass game. So I think he's back on the the path of being a day two pick. I think teams are going to look at him and his versatility and his explosiveness and be really intrigued with Jerry Ely. But I know you have a couple other running backs you want to bring up who you think are making some noise too, and maybe they can push their way into the mix in somewhere on day two. And if not day two, probably strong candidates to maybe go early on day three, if not hopping into the, the top 100. Yeah, and maybe before I'll jump into these running backs, um, which we'll, you know we might just keep more tabs on as we go on week to week. But uh, for the wide receivers, I, I mean, I don't. I'd still probably take. It's it's a good argument now. Who do you want, the Ohio State guys or the the Alabama guys? Um, and me personally, I'm still infatuated with uh, you know with Alave and Wilson. But uh, you know, there's. You know, we we talked about Jamison Williams on our our deep dive profiles, right? And you know, I told 
you know, I was saying I had one broadcast game from him and, you know, I just, I wasn't seeing it, but there's a big discrepancy between, you know, that first impression and what he's doing on the field. And so I'm really excited to actually go in and dig into tape where I can actually break it down from his perspective as a problem solver, you know, kind of, you know, maybe do something with Matt back and forth um, to actually unearth um, how his play is translating into just otherworldly production. So just that's going to be a fun one because, you know, there might there's something more than what initially meets the eye there for me. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the running backs. So, you know, you mentioned Jerry and Ely, you mentioned him last week too. You know, he's, he's becoming more of a part of his offense. And, you know, we, we've always been fascinated with his skill as a mover, but I think there's a couple other names that are vying for attention in that, you know, third round, fourth round kind of cusp of, trying to get into the top 100 and, you know, being on a West coast myself, I get a little bit more of a chance to, you know, to follow, uh, you know, the pack over here and, you know, two names, we talked about Zach Charbonnet. He had 167 yards last weekend. You know, he's still carrying UCLA and, and I don't think we can forget him, right? He's, he's definitely making a case as a top five back in this class. But uh, I think, Another one out here for Arizona State is Rashad White. And his role, is his his path this year has been a little bit like Jerry on Ely's, where he had a couple flashes games. He was sort of an element of the offense. But, you know, over the past month, you know, he had a, a game with 28 carries, a game with 32 carries. Um, and last week, I think, was only 15. But he's becoming more of an engine at the offense. And what's most interesting about him is he's not just a, you know, like a Kenneth Walker style engine of the offense. He's used in a multitude of ways, especially in the passing game. So six for 86 this last weekend, he's got 40 receptions on the year already, which is pretty phenomenal for like a pretty phenomenal number for a college back, not even through their entire season. So just, keep tabs on him. I think we'll probably, you know, we'll, we'll be watching him as, as the season closes and, and keeping our ear around to, to what buzz he might be having in draft circles. But I think him and then Jerome Ford, just as Cincinnati is a top four team and, and making a playoff push, you know, Jerome Ford will also be kind of one of those names because they're not all going to go early. Um, and so, it, you know, they're kind of competing, you know, for that draft capital with each other. I think at behind the Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Kenneth Walker names that we've we talk about kind of at the top every single week. Yeah. And I think White's an interesting one because he's actually a guy that was on my radar prior to the season starting. He only played four games last year at Arizona state, but I came away really impressed with his ability. He only had eight receptions last year, but you could tell that he was a natural you know, guy who can be a weapon in the receiving game. And and I walked away really impressed with him. His body type reminded me a little bit of like Chubba Hubbard because he's like that 6-1-202. Like he kind of he kind of has that body type, right? He's he's not like one of those like small squatty, you know, change of pace receiving type backs. Uh, you know, 
the height and the weight, the frame, the look. He, he reminded me a little bit uh, of Chubba Hubbard. And when I liked him, I thought, you know, I, I saw a lot of athleticism. I thought good to very good athleticism and movement skills. I like the burst, the, the acceleration. I like his footwork, the cutting ability, change of direction skills. I thought he had some elusiveness to make people miss in the backfield. So he's a guy that, you know, we're constantly talking about NFL teams are looking for role players and looking for weapons to, to make their offense a little bit more diversified. Well, I think white is one of those guys that any team could look at and, and see a role for it. And maybe he's only the third running back or maybe it's the backup, but, but they could look at him and say, we can use him in a variety of ways. And NFL teams want that. And as a, as a guy on day three, or even maybe he could sneak his way in if he finishes out this year strong. A team could look at him and say, yeah, change of pace running back, you know, receiving back. He can do a bunch of different things. You can run jet sweeps with him. You can, you know, you can you can wheel him out out of the backfield. So there's a lot of things you can do with a guy like Rashad White, who's got a, a lot of athleticism and juice in him. And he's a guy that I think I'm glad you brought him up because he's been a little bit forgotten out of sight, out of mind for me here on the East Coast. But he is a guy that was in the notebook from the summer, uh, you know, and, and I was a little bit intrigued with him and, and thought his arrow, you know, kind of could, you know, move its way up in this in this class. And, and I think it has like I think I think you're going to see him start to become a little bit more mainstream known and, and being talked about a little bit more, maybe down the home stretch of this year. And if not, you know, during the season, I think in the pre-draft process, people are eventually going to get around to him and be a little surprised. Uh, at his at his skill set and and what he can bring on a football field, so really interesting to kind of see you know how high he can emerge in terms of his draft stock, but but I do think he's going to potentially be a guy that not a lot of people really know who he is, but by the time draft weekend comes around, he's kind of on everybody's radar as a guy who could be in that round three, round four mix due to his offensive playmaking ability. So let's let's kind of transition this over uh, real quick, you know, Debbie Slant report for this week. And, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, like we talk about a guy and then all of a sudden things go sideways for the guy. And ever since we were heaping the praise and Matt came on air and was saying he would take Caleb Williams over all the underclassmen quarterbacks, you know, for a while, Caleb Williams, even though we didn't start the year, there was talk of like a Heisman, you know, campaign going on for Caleb Williams. And, and now – you know, the last couple of weeks, we see just how hard it is. We we talked about, you know, DJ, you know, Ulangalele's struggle at Clemson, inconsistency. We're seeing some of it from Caleb Williams right now, right? It's not just plug and play eliteness all the time for these young players. And Caleb Williams came out, of the, you know, came out super hot, monster stats, you know, in the early going and now defenses and defensive coordinators are, are, are kind of coming up with game plans to slow them down this past week, eight of 18, 87 yards, one touchdown, one interception. This is not what we're accustomed to uh, for Lincoln Riley's offenses, you know, so just as we were ready to kind of crown him and Bryce Young as the clear on the, the clear top two underclassmen quarterbacks, CJ Stroud just keeps putting up ungodly numbers you know, at Ohio State. And again, it's hard to, a little bit hard to differentiate him to those class of wide receivers, right? Because he's playing with three wide receivers that are going to be first round picks, you know, when, when all said and done down the line. But another 432 yards and six touchdowns. 
but even Stroud, remember there was a couple of weeks, there was like a, six weeks ago that we were having a conversation about him struggling and how long his leash would be, which just kind of shows you that there's ups and downs. We're seeing it with the rookie quarterbacks in the NFL that we do have to be a little bit patient. You know, maybe now's an opportunity to go get Caleb Williams in a Debbie league, right? If people are, are, are going into panic mode that, you know, he's he's not going to be the guy we saw in the first few games or that first month of the season. You know, C.J. Stroud is the hot name right now, and obviously Bryce Young just continues this week, 569 and, and 5, uh, just continues to to do their, uh, you know, put up gaudy stats there for Alabama. Jeff, any thoughts on whether it's not even specifically about the quarterbacks, but just like, you know, we're so quick, right? We live in a society like everything, instant reactions, right? Microwave society. We want to throw out hot takes and we want to do stock ups and stock downs and people crave that, you know, but I, I think these young quarterbacks, even in college football, the underclassmen, they're showing just like they were the rookie quarterbacks, right? At the NFL level. And, you know, we're kind of seeing how there needs to be some context and patience in understanding it is not a linear growth. It is not an exponential growth. And, and you've talked about that even with the, some of the skill, other skill players, not the quarterback position in terms of the NFL guys as well. But any thoughts on just how we've seen this year, the ebb and flow of some of these young signal callers in the college game. First, give me one minute to keep my head from stop spinning, right? Just, you know, it's a carousel right now, right? <laughs> um, but I think I think you spoke to it really well, and um, it's a theme that we'll probably carry into the next uh, the next segment here. But this is what development looks like, right? It's it's not linear. It's it's not all of a sudden he's throwing for two hundred and fifty yards a game, and then three hundred yards a game, and then adding a little piece here and there. You know it. You know it's it takes you know, experimenting and failing, right? Like, like being able to invent and grow and like make breakthroughs requires you to try something and it not work. Right. And then find different solutions. So, you know, like you said, with CJ Stroud, we can't forget about him. You know, we won't forget about Caleb Williams, who knows when it's Bryce Young's turn. Um, and maybe, you know, when he faces uh, Georgia or something, we'll see. Um, so Nothing I'm going to be overly alarmed with. I, I do have a list of names that I'm going to ask you and Matt to not talk about um, so that we don't jinx them in the future. <laughs> and, and, and you know, I think it's one of those things that it's like we're so quick to judge all the time. And, and, and that's just the way it is, right? Everybody just jumps on Twitter and makes a bold case. He's the best ever. He, you know, he's awful. And, and there needs to be more context. And, and we try to give it here too and, and, and talk about that. But I think we I think we're seeing it with signal callers at all levels, right? Underclassmen, draft eligible, rookie quarterbacks, and you know, second and third year quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, I'll, I'll bring up Justin Herbert later, but right, we saw him have a little dip here, you know, in the in the second year, you know, and then you know, he came out of it with a monster game this week. It's just it's just a natural part, the ebbs and the flows. So Speaking of that, let's transition to the NFL Rookie Report for this week and continue with the signal caller talk because I do think it's interesting. You know, right now, Mac Jones, you know, continues to just get the job done. Uh, New England has put him in a position to have a really successful year, and I don't want to take anything away from Mac Jones. He has done exactly what they've asked of him. 
they have the infrastructure in place. They have a good offensive line. They find a way to be really effective running the ball. They don't have the best playmakers. So I think that's a, a testament to Mac Jones that he's been able to have the success he's had without top level playmakers, something he did have the benefit of having in college, which I think kind of made his eval a little bit tricky, right? You know, because he had all that, that talent at, at Alabama. So it was hard not to be like, mm, I don't know, you know, great offensive line, great playmakers, great run game. Like, is, is it plug and play at Alabama and anybody could have done what he did? Well, I'm not sure anymore because, you know, Mac Jones has exceeded my expectations this year. I think his ceiling is now higher than – you know, than I maybe originally thought and gave him credit for. And he ended up in a perfect situation where if he was the quarterback of, you know, the Jaguars, I, I think we're probably having a different story in terms of how he looks this year. And, and that's understandable as well. But right now his stock continues to be on the rise while the other four right now are either neutral or, or stock down, right? It's just, it's, it's been a rocky year for the other four quarterbacks, right? Just as we think Justin Fields is turning the corner, now he suffers an injury. He's going to miss some time. Reports out of, you know, Giants fans were happy that Jason Garrett was gone. There's a lot of reports floating out there that Matt Nagy might be gone after the Thanksgiving game. We'll see. Uh, but but Justin Fields had his struggles, and it's a, he's battled some inconsistency. He's obviously had some glimpses. You know, Zach Wilson, you know, it, it's – it's tough to see other quarterbacks quarterback the Jets and produce stats. And then, you know, Zach Wilson had a couple moments here or there early in the year. He had that one really good game against the Titans, you know, but, but those glimpses have been very few and far between, you know, Trey Lance, San Francisco's trying to turn the corner a little bit and they're winning and they're winning with not asking Jimmy Garoppolo to do a lot, you know, but, but Trey Lance is kind of, whether Shanahan doesn't think he's ready, whether he just is seeing how many wins Garoppolo can get there. There hasn't been a lot of, doesn't seem there have been a lot of momentum at any point this year for Lance to take over. And I think that, you know, you were at the forefront of saying you thought it was going to be a while. And I think most people, you know, you have your, your pulse on the Niners as, as good as anybody I know. So maybe you were just reading the situation better than, than most of the mainstream media and the coverage out here on the East Coast and myself included in terms of thinking that it was going to be Lance much sooner than later. And now I'm not sure he takes over at all this whole year, whether they just haven't seen maybe what they want out of him yet or Maybe this was really always the plan. It'll be impossible to know. And then obviously the disaster that is Jacksonville right now, you just pray that and hope that this is not going to have long-lasting effects on Trevor Lawrence because right now you watch the Jaguars play, and this doesn't look like the guy who was supposed to be the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. He looks like a shell of himself from compared to the guy we saw you know, at Clemson for all those years making big plays. So – Jeff, any thoughts on the quarterbacks here? And then we'll kind of group the others all together uh, and round it out before going over to the dynasty report. Well, big applause for Mac Jones and sticking it to all the haters there. <laughs> um, but, but you know, you're right. Like, like first of all, um, I, I soberly did a deep dive with resignation that he'd be in San Francisco. And I don't think, I think he would have succeeded in San Francisco too, because you know, like what we're talking about is a guy who plays really well on script, you know, really good in, in a, in a system that's supporting his strengths. Um, that's what we're seeing in new England. 
it's the same type of thing we're seeing in other places. You, for example, Jimmy Garoppolo, you, you've alluded to the 49ers playing well, Garoppolo's playing well. I mean, but Jimmy Garoppolo is still a a sort of a system quarterback who who kind of needs the surrounding cast, you know, to to help him play well and needing to execute, you know, the offensive line and the receivers and the scheme all has to execute correctly, you know, so that he can stay in his rhythm. He can keep on script. He can, you know, you're not, you don't want to ask him to win games. And so, I mean, credit to Mac Jones. He had a phenomenal game against Atlanta, you know, and I, I do think he's probably there for new England for a while. They got to be really happy. Um, But again, it's, you know, we got to just like pump the brakes on like, you know, crowning him a top 10, top 15 quarterback in the league. I mean, we've seen this type of stuff from Baker Mayfield. We've seen this type of stuff from Jared Goff, right? Like these are all similar types of quarterbacks that, I mean, belong in the NFL. They belong as starters. It's just that not every team is going to get a top five NFL quarterback that's going to win games on their shoulders and take it over like a Kyler Murray or a Pat Mahomes or a Josh Allen, right? Like you just, there's not that many there and some show glimpses and some live there a few years and kind of come in and out streaky. I think like Matt Ryan's a pretty good example of that, who, who kind of shows up there from time to time. Um, some are there for their careers, you know, some just get good support throughout their career. And, you know, I think that, that that's the category Mac Jones will fall into. I think he'll be a long starter in the NFL. I just don't know that he'll ever, it, it's going to be phenomenal if he ever reaches that elite level, because then you're looking at a guy who's going to be like Tom Brady, right? That that's the only way that he can get there. That's his path to, you know, the best to, to an MVP. And I, I mean, I just like, I don't want to ever count on somebody being Tom Brady, but that doesn't mean that somebody can't diligently know the game, study the game and get smarter and smarter and smarter every year to, to eventually get there. So, you know, just kudos, Mac Jones, you know, he got a lot of hate. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm happy he's playing well. I think uh, I'll take that over to, you know, the the flip side, which is, you know, Trey Lance and San Francisco. And we talked about, you know, a long time about, you know, I just, I think you were right. You said, you don't know if he's just not showing them what they need to see or if it was a plan all along. And, and it's kind of both. Again, the plan all along was for Jimmy Garoppolo to be quarterback this year, right? And if anything went sideways, yeah, you could change plans. But right now, you know, everybody thought that they'd pull the plug on the season a couple weeks ago when they were three and five, and then you see a big upset over the Rams and now they're 500 and tied for the last playoff spot. They could be a playoff team, you know, and they're looking like they're a good team that could get there. Um, And yeah, so as, as long as they're executing and playing well, like I think you're still going to see Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Trey Lance has the opportunity to force Shanahan's cards and hand in getting him in there. You know, we, I just don't, I don't know. So, so that like, there is something Lance can do. He could just 
be the best. And, um, and so we're not quite seeing that yet. But also, I don't think that's any cause for concern for someone who came in as raw as he did, you know, with under 400 passes under his belt, right? So, so like, I'm not panicking. Um, he's still, he still has the arm, the legs, the brain that drew him to Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. And that's still in the long-term plans. And it's the same thing with Trevor Lawrence. Like I know you said he's, he looks a bit like a shell of himself, but it's really hard evaluation. He still has the tools of a number one overall pick, right? He still has the tools of, of a franchise number one overall pick too. Not just like, oh, he's the best quarterback in this class, but the best quarterback in several classes. Like that doesn't mean he's going to turn into a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck, but, but I, there's a lot that could go on in the development over the next several years. And it is concerning that there's nothing around him uh, to help support there, but those things can change and, and the talent's still there. And that's why I'm not going to like panic on any of these guys, right? Even Wilson, who I I've had some criticisms for, you know, he's been injured and he's seen, you know, maybe firsthand up close, you know, what Mike White, what Joe Flacco can do to help the offense move. And, you know, what's to say that he doesn't start to integrate that into his game, right? So, like, it's just, um, we'll see this Sunday, like, has he started to incorporate some of those lessons or not? Um, To to assume, to, to write someone's career off of half a season, I think is just way too premature. There's so much more to unfold. And, you know, we're so quick to jump to the end of the story that we, can't even enjoy how it's unfolding in front of us. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a lot of great points there and, and you're right, right? We like, again, when we, when anybody does a, any show and, and we don't even do it immediately after the week, you know, like, like some people do, I do it the night of the games and it's like, you know, you make takes and you make opinions and, you know, it's hard not to sometimes get either overly excited or, you know, or completely the other way. Right. When we, when we watch these games and, you're seeing this year, listen, all these guys would be buys for me in terms of, you know, fantasy football, in terms of dynasty leagues. I still believe in their talents, but I, I do think it, this year, and, and I, we keep harping this year, this year you're seeing firsthand the value of where these guys land and how much it could impact their ability to transition from the Saturday game right to the Sunday game. And, and we're seeing it with Trevor Lawrence and we're seeing it with the lack of until re- more recently, you know, putting Justin Fields in the best position to be successful. And then on the flip side, you know, Mac Jones being put in a situation to be successful. And I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be fine, but I also think, you know, things can change quickly in the NFL, but Jacksonville's got to find a way to, to to start fixing things immediately. And that's going to, you know, whether that's, I don't know if Urban Meyer is the right guy for that job, to be honest with you. And because what happens is like, you know, we've seen, we've seen really inept franchises and, you know, ruin quarterbacks, right? Like to this day, whenever I'm never really sure if David Carr was as bad as he was, or did the Houston Texans just put him in a horrendous situation that then he he just was seeing ghosts and basically, you know, feeling pressure that wasn't there because of how many times he was sacked. And, you know, we know Trevor Lawrence has talent. That's that's undeniable. But right now, like you watch that game and like you would 
think you would see some more glimpses. And we, we've seen, obviously, some this year. He's had some really good moments. But, like, you, you know, you see these final stat lines and you're like, wow, like, I'm not sure I ever would have thought Trevor Lawrence would have had one game like that in his NFL career. And he's had these games where they're, like, run for 100 yards or 110 yards. And you're just like, wow. Like, you know, and, and it just shows you just how hard it is to make the transition, especially when the, the supporting cast and the surrounding cast uh, around is poor but it's way way premature to to make any declarations about any of these guys you like to see glimpses and, and build off of that as we said development and growth is not linear it is not exponential it's going to be ups and downs uh but it is the job of the franchises that they go to to put these people in position to be successful right you know i know we started talking to giants at the top of the show and and truth be told is yeah it looks like daniel jones is not going to be the guy and maybe it was too much. Again, he's a perfect example, right? Everybody was down on Daniel Jones before the draft. Then he had a really strong debut, his rookie season, and the momentum started to shift that, whoa, maybe the NFL was right on this guy and, and draft Twitter and everything was wrong on this guy, right? And and then it, it turned out that maybe that was premature and he's not going to be an NFL starting quarterback. And then on the flip side, you could also say, well, the Giants also haven't done him any, you know, yes, they've gotten in weapons, but they've never solidified the O-line, the, 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 the game plan and the scheme and the offensive, you know, philosophy hasn't catered to his skill set. So it's like, you need everything, right? You got to have talent. You got to have the right coaching. You got to have the right offensive line. You got to have the playmakers. There's very few guys who can do it alone. And you're seeing this year just how important it is for all those pieces to be in place. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to kind of see who, who from this class turns around, right? We knew all five weren't going to make it, right? It's just the law of averages that you, we knew one or two of these guys were probably not going to make it. I don't think we can tell for sure that that's going to be the case, but the odds say that, you know, they're not all going to live up to their draft pedigree. It's just usually not the way, you know, the cookie crumbles, so to speak. So, you know, it's early on all of them to make any, you know, declarations for sure. The other main guy I want to bring up because you've been talking about him and he finally had his real, real breakout. It's been a crescendo. That's Elijah Moore, uh, 8-141 and a touchdown. I think it was Matt Harmon was doing some reception perception stuff yesterday saying he thinks he's still going to be a future star. He's shown the ability to win on the inside, win on the outside. Uh, so Elijah Moore, all the hype in the preseason, all the hype in training camp, we're finally starting to see it emerge. And what I take from it is this wide receiver class, I think is going to end up being pretty awesome again in terms of the rookies, because we know Jamar Chase is going to be a transcendent talent. We see Jalen Waddle making an impact every single week. We see Devonta Smith, you know, balling out recently. We've seen glimpses of greatness from Kadarius Tony, and maybe now he's over his injury. Last night he was definitely more involved in the game for the Giants, but I think a, a new offensive mind, whether it's – I doubt it's going to be that dramatic different with Freddie Kitchens, but maybe next year he can become a, a legit star. And then we see a guy like Elijah Moore, and then you know your guy also Rashad Bateman has already seen glimpses. We're talking about all those guys could be really high-level wide receivers, I think, at the NFL level. And that's not even going further down that maybe, you know, when Christian Kirk and A.J. Green are, are, are no longer on the Cardinals, maybe a guy like Rondell Moore. 
So this class is going to be a really special class, I think, at the wide receiver position. Again, just on top of every year, I feel like. And, you know, obviously the one coming in, we know we talked about it earlier. It's the strength of this year's draft class, right, for the, for the skilled players. So any, any thoughts on Elijah Moore just continuing to show and live up to those preseason expectations that for a while, you know, we were questioning whether or not, you know, it, it was just that, you know, preseason training camp because we didn't really get to see much of an opportunity. But now the genie's out of the bottle. I mean, he should be featured the rest of the season there in that Jets offense, you know, as they kind of find out what they have in their whole roster. And he's got to get on the same page with Zach Wilson once Zach Wilson is, is the quarterback. And you can say the same thing about Michael Carter, right? And you've been at the forefront of talking about he's got to feel comfortable getting the ball to Michael Carter and not always looking. He's got to be comfortable. He's got These are two of the Jets' best playmakers. They will add to the mix for sure before next year. But Zach Wilson's got to start getting a comfort level with both of these players. Yeah, that's it right there. Um I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that Elijah Moore immediately and emphatically breaks out over these last few weeks under Mike White and Joe Flacco. And, and, and yeah, I just, I can't really come to any other conclusion bes- besides, you know, Zach Wilson's had been holding him back. And, you know, Zach Wilson is the face of the franchise. So, I mean, that's two. I, I said it at the start of the season too, and um, they are disparate. Like what they're good at doesn't mesh. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to put the fault then on on a little bit of Zach Wilson because he's going to have to learn how to play quarterback the the way that you know to manage the game away like Mike White can, right? And it's going to stress his comfort zone and it might look ugly for a little bit too. Um, You know, but he needs, he needs to kind of push, push through those, those walls. Uh, Otherwise I just, I'm like, I'm really scared that as soon as Zach Wilson's back under center that, you know, we, we see a tamped down version of Elijah Morgan, like still getting open, still making people look ridiculous out there, you know, for trying to cover him but still just not able to, to get the ball <laughs> where he needs to. And that's just my biggest fear. Um, and, and and the scary thing is how invested New York is in Zach Wilson. And you, you mentioned it, not all of these guys are going to pan out. So, you know, maybe it'll take a while and we, I don't know, just eventually, you know, you, you kind of get your shot. And even if you're, there's not a lot of Corey Davis's out there, right. Where the, you know, whatever reason you're held back. I, I mean, I think Elijah Moore is talented and just won't go away. Even if, even if for years he's held back by Zach Wilson, I don't think he's, you know, I think he's going to make a statement, whether it's this year with Wilson's growth, whether it's next year as Wilson, Wilson gets, you know, kind of his rookie year out of the way and develops or whether it's, you know, three years from now when New York pulls the plug and, and, puts another quarterback in there because it just the experiment didn't work out. He's going to get there. I just, you know, there's risk. Uh, it's a little scary. And um, and I just like it. It's sort of like, well, I don't have a good analogy for, you know, just watching like your favorite thing, just sort of like 
you know, left out in the rain and, you know, eroding away and just not getting used. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'll, I'll use that as if that happens again a little bit when Zach Wilson gets back under center, I think it's a screaming by window, right? Like if Zach Wilson comes back and you see Elijah Moore have two three bad games in a row, you know, there's going to be some owners that are like, man, he's just, it's just not going to be, you know, Zach Wilson's going to be the guy. And you know, you know there's going to be a little bit of panic. And I would use that as an opportunity to try to get Elijah Moore on any dynasty team I can get on. I'd be aggressive in trying to get him because I think we're, we're seeing already with Mike White and Joe Flacco what kind of skill set this kid has to be an impact player like some like many of the other wide receivers in this class that we we've talked about a lot during this year we've already seen a little bit now and i think it goes it's really important to understand when you see glimpses of of, of a great performance or two by a rookie you got to realize that like and and i've gone on i've battled on twitter with some people that are like oh what could Darius tony do besides those two yeah, i understand he hasn't been this consistently great he's not been justin jefferson from last year right he's not been as good as this year as jalen waddle or jamar chase of course not but it's also hard to have glimpses of greatness at the nfl level ever so if you have glimpses of greatness and what 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 you know, what Kadarius Tony did against Dallas and Trey Diggs, who's literally in the running for defensive MVP of the year, was, was true greatness. And Elijah Moore's game this week, greatness, right? So when you see glimpses of that, you know it's already in their arsenal. It's in their backpack that they can do that. And then it's about more consistently doing it and and being, you know, officially working their way into 100% or 80% or 90% of the snaps. Right now, that's not what Elijah Moore and Kadarius Tony are playing, you know, and that'll change over time as well. So, you know, you hold on to those glimpses of greatness and you kind of wait for it to, the consistency part to kind of round itself out a little bit. And that will take time for rookies, right? Because we do know at, even at the receiver position, even though we see more success there, you know, then and more consistent success off the bat than in the quarterback position, it still takes time. There'll still be ups and downs for sure. So I think that's perfectly said. I just want to emphasize that point again. Like buy talent, you know, like buy into talent because you know that's not gonna just especially once it's you've seen it on an NFL field, you know, it might you might go through choppy waters, but you know you're on a good ship when you're buying into talented players. And you mentioned that Waddles had a better season. And from maybe a statistical standpoint, I'd agree. But, you know, he's a focal point of their passing game. But one of the things, I, I have to turn this back to you, just when are we going to see the game breaker Waddle? Because we've had so many opportunities, you know, to see him you know, break through and make plays that we see Kadarius Tony make, right? You know, make people look silly. And, you know, maybe it's just no downfield targets. I, I mean, I just, I, I am kind of boggled for why we're not seeing game-breaking plays from Jalen Waddle, and it, and it kind of worries me a little bit. Um, what is your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think it's a really good argument. And I think, I think if we went back and did a little bit more if we went back in hindsight i think we might realize that jalen waddle didn't do a lot of 
big time work as a yards after catch guy at Alabama. He, I mean, don't get me wrong. He won vertically down the field excessively and he runs super fast, right? He, he's, he's borderline and on Tyree kill in terms of straight line speed. I, I don't deny that, but he doesn't, you know, I haven't watched him nearly as close as I've watched every single snap of Kadarius Tony, but you watch those guys and Jalen Waddell has had excessive more targets and receptions. And a lot of it's in the short to intermediate stuff, right? That's where, that's what we're talking about here. But you see Jalen Waddell get the ball and then you watch Kadarius Tony get the ball on like a two yard screen or a five yard pass. And they look like they're different ends of the world in terms of their movement capabilities. And you saw Kadarius Tony a lot in college make an impact off of those one yard passes those two yard screen passes in, in the open field. We didn't see a lot of that. We saw Jalen Waddle take a slant to the house, right? He gets, he has a, he has a open lane. He's gone. We saw him win vertically down the field a lot, but we didn't see in short spaces is make you miss with jukes and elusiveness and agility. I'm not saying he can't do it. Obviously compared to most people, he's probably great at it, but, but I don't, I think, comparing like him and Kadarius Tony in hindsight. And I remember back on draft weekend, I was like, Oh, maybe the giants picking Kadarius Tony meant that if they had Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith, they would have won Jalen Waddle because, and now I think I've, I think I realized that Kadarius, comparing Kadarius Tony and Jalen Waddle is very different. They are extremely different type of players. And, you know, I remember Matt digging into Kadarius Tony even more than we had after the Giants drafted him and him saying he's without a doubt the best mover and the best after the catch wide receiver in this class bar none. And I think some people were caught off guard by that because they were thinking, oh, better than Jalen Waddell. And I think people were maybe just assuming Jalen Waddell's speed meant yards after catch and yeah he could catch that two yard screen and go to the house if he has an open lane but we didn't see a lot of make you miss break your ankles from Jalen Waddle and I think that's what you're saying this year right he's had a lot of ample opportunities you would think just by nature like I know last night just watching the game you know like there was one play there is totally only got seven or eight yards but he made like six people miss and made them look stupid right and just in that one moment you're like, wow. And then Lewis Riddick was waxing poetically just about that play and the announcers were going crazy. And it was only a seven-yard gain, but it was just like the ability to, to NFL athletes to make them miss with ease. Jalen Waddell has been pilfered with targets the entire year, and you haven't really seen him do that. So it is a little concerning because if he's not going to do that, then he better start winning vertically down the field because – then that's going to have to be where he's that impact player. They didn't draft him to be a guy to catch seven-yard passes. That's not what Jalen yeah. Waddle was taking. They didn't trade a first-round pick to move from back up from whatever it was, 11 to 5 or whatever the trade was, 11 to 6, whatever it was, if for him not to be on that Tyreek Hill landscape at least as a game breaker. And I think you're right to bring it up because the stats say, yeah, Jalen Waddle had a lot of catches and this and that but we haven't seen those game-breaking plays, whether it's him, whether it's the offense, whether it's Tua, whether it's a combination of all of them. We'll see. I, I mean, I, I'm still a believer in Jalen Waddle, but I do think it's interesting based on how much, how many targets we've seen from him this year that he hasn't shown any of those glimpses, right? We've already seen it at Tony. We've seen it at Amore. We've seen it at Devonta Smith. We've seen it at Jamar Chase. 
And Waddle's been pilfered with targets in the focal point of the offense, but we haven't seen that explosiveness yet. Yeah, the the Tony play you're talking about got a lot of love on Twitter. And I think I, you know, I even saw like Matt Waldman get in on it, but he made Antoine Winfield miss. He made uh Devin White miss and he ran around JPP all to get those seven yards. So so those are like good players, right? And uh, I'm wondering, I think for Waddle, they're not asking him to win down the field. And I don't know why that is, um, whether that's a Tua thing or not. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, maybe we just in the college game, you've got the wider hashes. Everything's a little bit more open spaced, right? And so, yeah, you know, you're running straight through wide swaths of grass. You know, if you have angle breaking speed, you're going to make some people look silly, silly and get into the end zone. And it's it's got to just be a lot harder with faster athletes in tighter spaces. And that's where the movement skills of a guy like Tony can shine. And, you know, Waddle, not that he can't do it, but, you know, that might be why it's a tougher transition and why we haven't quite been seeing it yet. So anyways, just a, yeah, just some yeah. And, and I think just to close out that point, I think, and listen, I think we all can fall, you know, fall into the trap sometimes of assuming a elite level athlete that Jalen model obviously is. And the guy with elite all world speed doesn't necessarily mean that that can be translated to elite agility, elite movement skills in terms of reacting, right? Agility is all about reacting to what's in front of you, right? I know Matt would lose his mind when people say the word lateral agility because it's just agility is not necessarily just going side to side, right? It's reacting to based on what's in front of you and making people miss going, you know, you're moving horizontally, but you're doing it based on what the defense is doing at you, your ability to make people miss your agility, to read the defense and, and then and then go from there. And just because a guy's an all all world athlete with elite level speed and we see him take things to the house that are slants, that's different. Taking a slant to the house is very different than making people miss with the ball in your hands in the you know, around lots of other defenders, right? We don't know if Kadarius Tony can be a great route runner yet, to be determined. We don't even know if Kadarius Tony can win vertically down the field. He hasn't really done that yet at the NFL level, and he did it marginally in college. But we do know Kadarius Tony can make people miss in short spaces. That we know for sure, and we'll see where it goes from there. And I think we're eventually going to realize that Jalen Wallach can win vertically down the field. It would be really weird if he doesn't, but but maybe that doesn't mean he can win in short spaces as consistently or as regularly as a guy like Kadarius Tony. Maybe that's just not in his repertoire. Uh, but I think it's a really good argument. Not a good argument. I really think talking point that don't assume one thing because of something else. And I think maybe we we, we fell into that trap a little bit with, with Jalen Waddle. So let's close out the night with a, a quick dynasty report. I mentioned it last week uh, with Matt, and I kind of want to get your take. And, I mean, I guess we could – you know, I, I said last week I think Jonathan Taylor should be the RB1. And then he – I guess so we're not all bad luck because he, he – we talk about Jonathan Taylor last week as the guy who should be the RB1 in dynasty circles right now. And, he, oh, what does he do? He just responds with a five-touchdown game against the Buffalo Bills this past week. Uh, I don't even know if there's much conversation based on age, based on – the, the, the infrastructure with a great offensive line that's relatively young, his ability to handle a heavy workload, his, his ability to show this year that he could at least be functional or average to above average in the passing game. Uh, it's hard not to look at him and think he's 
on the landscape already. Like he could be a natural runner right there on the level of a Nick Chubb, who's maybe arguably the best in the game, but, but he's not just splitting it with a Kareem hunt. And he's shown more in the past game than Nick Chubb has. So to me, I think he should be the RB one right now in dynasty circles. We've seen Christian McCaffrey, you know, get banged up a lot. I don't, I don't expect that to stop as he gets older. We've seen Saquon Barkley be unable to stay healthy and be and, and be an elite level contributor since his first year, to be honest with you, with any type of consistency. You know, Dalvin Cook throughout here at Ayers had some battles of injury, but I do think Jonathan Taylor very much should be the guy in the RB1 mix. Uh, the other talking point I wanted to get your take on is, is should we now – I'm starting to think that there really shouldn't be any separation, if so, very minimal between a guy like Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara. To me, what they're asked to do, their body types, their their skill sets, they're very comparable. But I feel like there's always been this bigger gap between what they what they are. And I think when I update my rankings next time, in addition to putting Jonathan Taylor at the tippy top, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to merge together a little bit closer Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara because I do think they should there shouldn't be much separation because they might age similarly in terms of their skill sets. Uh, I, I, I think they're very similar in nature, and I think they should be a little bit closer. And then I mentioned before, stock back up, not that it really was down, but you know Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, they had a little dip in, in what they were doing this year. They, this week they bounced right back up. Uh, I'm wondering if there should be some concerns about Russ Wilson and the Seattle pass catchers and the pass catchers might be more of it. Are we drawing towards the end of the line for Russ, right? There's always been these whispers over the last year or two. And I'm wondering if Seattle really bottoms out this year, could this be the time that Russ says he wants to go, right? They, those whispers have been out there. So should there be some concerns about the, the Seattle, the, the, the trio there in Seattle? And I know you were a really big fan uh, of going in and, to the year and TJ Hawkinson, what do we kind of make? He had a lot of really strong weeks early in the year and now it's became totally irrelevant. And we know tight end is a weird position. Are we just chalk? I know me, I'm just kind of chalking it up to horrendous situation. No other pass catchers. So defenses are just keying in on him. Uh, similar, similar take from you would, would use it as a buy now window that he's been so poor down the, that, you know, recently of late uh, from him. Yeah, touching on the running backs, I, I don't, I can't disagree at all. Um, Jonathan Taylor, just age, Matt, age alone is what sets him apart from the other guys in that production sphere, the Dalvin Cooks, the uh, Nick Chubbs, and the uh, uh, the CMCs. Like you know, he's with them, but just younger. So yeah, he, he's got to be RB one. And you know, coming out, he got a lot of Nick Chubb comps, and I, he was not the at all the runner Nick Nick Chubb was as a prospect. Um, but that's definitely developed. Um, he's definitely put a lot of that type of uh, the, the types of moves that you see Chubb pull on a weekly basis. He's put that in his repertoire and he's definitely, you know, on that horizontal spectrum, you know, he's, he's in his own athletic way and in his own unique way of a problem solver, but, doing things at the level that, that we see in Nick Chubb. So, you know, but younger and featured, right. So definitely um, he would be the first guy first running back I'd take. And as far as Eckler goes, I, I took a look at my ranks and I haven't changed them since I put them together in July. Austin Eckler is my 12th 
overall running back in dynasty and, and Kamara is kind of my 10th and yeah, that there, there isn't much of a difference. It was, I, I've kind of mentioned in those, those, the blurbs that come with these rankings that, uh, you know, he's my favorite value. It's going to get you an RB one. He's going to push 80 catches. He's extremely talented. We saw it this last weekend. I still think, I, yeah, I don't think you should think of him very different than Kamara at all. And I think if you really wanted to get a little bit crazy, you could put him above Alvin Kamara because you know his situation in LA is more stable than what we don't really know is going to go on in New Orleans. So, I mean, I, I, maybe if you're a little risk averse or you, you just kind of want that stability, I you, sure, you know, like, you know, you'd probably be able to, you know, if we're talking fantasy football or dynasty football, you'd probably be able to get a some, you'd probably be able to get a, a little like a Kadarius Tony style upside player back, you know, in that, in that trade. Um, I, I have a hard time with Russ and I, I just, I really, I'm going to punt that for a week or two, just cause I, I don't know what to think right now. I've always, as a 49er fan, he has just been always a ridiculous magician and I just can't come to terms that it's the end of the line. Um, and he's coming back from the injury and I'm just going to give it a, a little bit more time. Um, and then if, if it still come, if it still looks bad, you know, we'll get back to this conversation for sure. But as far as TJ Hawkinson goes, I, yeah, I just, he's, he, it's him and DeAndre Swift. And I think teams want to take away TJ Hawkinson and Jared Goff's not going to force the ball into Hawkinson. He's going to, Jared Goff is a quarterback that, you know, he, he's sitting there at the line of scrimmage, reading what the defense is playing, knowing what his play is and saying, okay, this is my read. I'm going to go here with the ball. And it's not going to be TJ Hawkinson because that the defense is taking him away. So, so Goff isn't going to force it to him. And, and I think that's probably a little bit on the play callers to get him more creatively involved. But it, I think it's just, it's a situation to be patient. Like we talked about with more, uh, Elijah Moore, just we've seen the flashes of of talent with TJ Hawkinson. We know he can be a focal point of an offense. I, I think we just need a little bit. We need a little bit of patience with the Detroit, you know, rebuild kind of the same way that I'm, you know, taking the approach with Dallas Goddard and they did for all these years. Just a little bit of patience. You know, the talent's there. Watch it come to fruition. It might take a little bit longer. Um, it's hard to be patient. Um, especially when a year or two in fantasy can be forever, but I, I'm still a believer and I would use this as a window to, to pick him up. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It, you know, listen, the tight end position is a messy position to begin with is a very inconsistent position in nature. I still believe in Hawkinson's talent. We know he's had glimpses of greatness. I think it's the situation there and you know, it has to get better, right? They have to get some real receivers. I would assume in the off season, I'm right there with you in terms of Ross. I, I don't think he's done. Like to me, he's, he's the one veteran quarterback that if he ever pushes his way out of Seattle would really intrigue me in New York. And I think he'd be great for the New York market and all that stuff. I don't think he's done. I think that, I think maybe the interesting question to revisit down the line is, if he pushes his way out the door or that seems like what he's going to do. And maybe down the line, we'll talk about this in one of the next coming weeks is 
going into the offseason, what to make of how to maybe appropriately value Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett with possible uncertainty. I think we already know that there's no coming, there's no return for Aaron Rodgers probably to Green Bay, but we could we could kind of you know, go out on a limb and say, well, what if, what if Russ Wilson pushes his way out the door, right? Like, what do we, what do we make of these three really, really talented wide receivers? You know, how do we, you know, how do we appropriately value them as we kind of wait to see who the heir apparent would be? Because my guess is in both situations, it's not going to be an established guy, right? And, and that would be the concerning part. So that's something we'll revisit down the line. Uh, yeah, I think you brought up a really great point and, and I, and it's going to be something I'm going to be thinking about as I get set to update my ranking soon is situation with, for Los Angeles is significantly better than New Orleans. And the, uh, the offense is more explosive. The offense is more versatile. The offense has better playmakers. They have a franchise quarterback who I think is in that top is already in that top 10 mix, uh, you know, or top eight mix. You can make the case. So I, I think the, the case can very much be made for Austin Eckler uh, ahead of Alvin Kamara. So I thought that was a really strong point uh, that you brought up there. So there it is, guys. The quick dynasty report to close out on top of the NFL rookie report, the, the quick Debbie slant report, and the NFL rookie report that we started with. If you are enjoying this content, please get over to the website. SS Football is the fastest and quickest way to get there. Check out our premium content tab for $9.99. You get access to all of our premium notebooks. You get two immediately to rankings notebook with all our rankings, draft eligible, uh, Devi, dynasty rookie rankings, dynasty rankings by position, detailed dynasty rankings for a rebuild or contending team. Uh, you'll get tiers. You'll get next the following wave of NFL dynasty rookie rankings. All of that in the rankings notebook updated fairly regularly. You get the scouting notebook. All the scouting reports will be updated and added more names in the mix during the season in the pre-draft months as well. And then in April, you get the draft projections notebook tabs for every position, offense and defense, over 400 players in there. Quick snapshot of who they are in, in, in projecting how we expect it to go based on everything I am hearing. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of Matt, and on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.